Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the CIS podcast, Cybersecurity, Where You Are. Uh, I'm Sean Atkinson, your host for today, and I'm joined by uh, Marcy Andino and Trevor Timmons. Uh, Marcy, could you give us uh, a little bit of your background, please? Um, Sure. So I'm currently the Senior Director of the Election Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center. I've been in this role for 10 months or going on 10 months. And prior to that, I was the a state election director for 19 years. So Marcy, let's just do a quick introduction to what is the EIISAC for our audience members? So we're the uh, Information Sharing and Analysis Center, and we do exactly what our name says. Um, our mission um, is to improve the overall cybersecurity posture of SLTTs, that's state, local, tribal, and territorial governments. We focus on election officials uh, primarily. Fantastic. Thank you. And Trevor, I just wanted to get an idea of your role as the executive committee chair of the EIISEC. Sure. So the EIISEC, we're a member-driven organization. Um, and so I was uh, elected by my peers uh, to actually represent for their interests at the executive committee level. So we have monthly meetings with uh, the leadership of CIS and the EIISAC. Um, really, our goal is to make sure that the EIISAC is uh, pursuing services and initiatives that actually provide value to our members. That's really that's really my role. And actually, we have a I'm the chair. I represent for state uh, organizations. And then my co-chair, Wesley Wilcox, represents for locals across the United States. OK, so oh, a complete expanse then across the whole election community. That's fantastic. Great. So everybody's represented uh, represented, and then obviously through your chair committee is basically providing value. And so, Marcy, one of those elements of value uh, that we, I wanted to discuss today and, and really the focus of this particular podcast is the CyberStrong campaign. So, Marcy, where did the CyberStrong campaign come from? Well, the CyberStrong campaign was created to encourage election officials to take decisive and deliberate steps between now and Election Day. It's 106 days away. And all of this to support improving their cybersecurity posture. We're excited about the program, and it is centered around six steps that they can easily take. And all six of those steps are no cost through the EIISAC. Fantastic. So no cost, implementable within the 106-day window that we have. And in the uh, Cyber Strong campaign, Strong is actually an acronym. So Trevor, I wonder if we could go through some of the acronyms here. First, we'll start with S in terms of staying connected. What does that mean to you as both from the executive committee chair perspective, but also as the CIO uh, at Colorado? Sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Sean. And I'll just specify Colorado Secretary of State's office, not the entire state. <laughs> you know, my scope is limited to elections and the things we do, but I appreciate that. Um, so staying connected is really leveraging the community that exists uh, at the EI ISAC. It's information sharing. 
It's understanding what the services are, the no-cost services that the EIISAC offers to all of our members. Um, you know, prior to the EIISAC uh, coming together, there was not really a natural community that brought together technical and cybersecurity resources along with those operational election officials across the nation to make sure that we had that forum, that community, to share best practice information, to share information alerts, guidance that may come out from CISA or the FBI uh, in terms of cybersecurity threats to our systems. So it's really staying connected as being part of that community and knowing what those resources are available and leveraging them. Fantastic. That's great. So staying connected really uh, helps us use the lessons learned. What are other states and local um, organizations doing to prepare what type of tactics have been put in place. The other benefit, and Marcy just wanted to highlight here with you, is when they uh, an organization signs up to be a member, what are the types of benefits that they could see uh, as being part of that staying connected, but also part of the larger election community? Well, when they join, being part of the election community, we feel like is everybody is better off when we work together. And we provide all types of um, professional services and products, and all of them are available at no charge to election officials. So they have, like Trevor said, they have access to all these resources. Um, they're able to um, receive active intelligence in order to keep them informed, not just what's going on in their area, but across the country. Um, and if there's an incident somewhere, then we can quickly get the word out and pass that around to all of our members uh, so everybody's aware. So we encourage all election officials to, if they're not already members of the EIISAC, to join the EIISAC. And if they are members, maybe they signed up um, back in 2018 when the EIISAC was first stood up. So it's a good time to review the services and review their account, make sure that uh, everybody's added to the member list that needs to and that all of the contact information is up to date so that they're getting the valuable information that we share. Fantastic. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, we're better together than we are separated uh, and being part of that community is huge. Uh, and utilizing that information, as you mentioned, uh, Marcy, free uh, resources uh, that really in a lot of cases are vetted uh, and make sense from an election perspective. So they're implementable for elections officials across really any state or local jurisdiction. Fantastic. Trevor wanted to then move into the T. So we're, we're going through the acronym of STRONG. We're now on T. We're talking about train and communicate. And one of the recommendations here is tabletop exercises. Why is that important, Trevor? Sure. Well, tabletop exercises are so important to kind of educate people about some scenarios they may run into uh, you know, during the actual uh, uh, conduct of elections so that they can be prepared for funny press questions that may arise so they can understand what some of those best practices are that um, if implemented, they could help uh, they could help protect organizations and entities from some of those downsides that come, uh, you know, without having solid protections in place. The the EIISAC, CISA, um, uh, tabletop exercises have a long standing within the emergency management community uh, in terms of aligning their communications across multiple uh, jurisdictional boundaries. 
And within the last five, six years, really with the start of the EII SAC and some of the concern about the 2016 election that came to the forefront, uh, tabletop exercises are a fabulous way of helping organizations gauge their readiness, looking at their incident response plan, looking at their communications plans, uh, making sure that they have holding statements ready uh, in case some of the common scenarios that may occur during an election actually come up. Absolutely. Now, I think that's a great point. I am a huge advocate of uh, tabletop exercises here at, at CIS, and obviously as I promote their um, capability across the community. And it, it's always stuck with me, but there's always been a, an adage or a saying that, that, you know, chance favors the prepared mind. And I don't think there's any better preparation uh, for these types of activities, threat informed, looking at our infrastructure and actionable intelligence through a tabletop exercise and being able to do that. Um, Trevor, I don't know if you've had the same uh, in your experience in your career, but it, it's the incident response plan is is the dust collector on the uh, bookshelf. And it's uh, I think it's just time that those be dusted off and those be implementable uh, again, we mentioned, uh, Marcy mentioned 106 days, you know, there's time to get exercises in um, and get those reviewed, getting those lessons learned out. Does that, that make sense, Trevor, uh, at this point in time? It, it really does. Uh, obviously, there are some great templates out there for developing incident response plans. Um, some of the some of the very basic things that will come up in a TTX is uh, in this type of incident, who's the first person you reach out to? Who's the second? Who's the third? Do you designate an incident commander to try to make sure that all of your uh, lines of effort are actually staying in close communication with each other? Um, there's nothing like a tabletop exercise to help you uh, solidify those plans and understand what your communication strategies are before you're actually in the middle of a live incident. Exactly right. Absolutely correct. I think, Marcy, uh, you know, some of the exercises we do internally, we utilize a lot of the information from uh, CIS, uh, and one of those being phishing scams. And I think from a threat perspective, that uh, is one of the things we can expect to see through election season. Any thoughts or comments in terms of what uh, what is provided through the EIISAC as well as CIS in terms of preparation and elements that can be brought to a tabletop exercise? Well, like Trevor said, I mean, the uh, tabletop exercises really raise awareness, and that's key because a trained staff is a ready staff. And the tabletop exercises really force staff to think outside of the box, to think about things that they might not think about on a daily basis. And that's key. Um, you know, lots of um, surveys or lots of statistics are out there about breaches. And, you know, most of them tell you that um, the human element is always involved. 80%, 90% um, of um, cyber attacks begin with phishing. So this is really important as we get closer to the election. Um, both permanent employees and seasonal employees need to get that cybersecurity training. And they need to be reminded because we know as it, we get closer to election day and they get busier, they start taking shortcuts and they quit thinking about cybersecurity when they're really focused on the election. And we want to change that. We want to make sure that they are ready and they know not to click on 
uh, links and not to open attachments. And we provide a malicious code analysis platform that they can use if they receive a, an email that looks suspicious. So they don't have to open those things. We can take care of that for them and let them know whether or not it's a safe email to open. So we provide lots of no-cost services uh, to help election officials. Fantastic. Yes. I, I think one of the recommendations would be, uh, and Trevor just wanted to get your thoughts uh, as we close out the T section here, but is to integrate these tools into your uh, TTX or your tabletop exercise so that you can utilize the tools as a preparation method and that you're not thinking about them secondarily when an event has occurred. Integrate those as part of the practice. I want to get your thoughts there. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, as we as we go through a tabletop exercise and understand what the scenarios are, it can really kind of bring home uh, how some of the protections uh, and some of the practices that we should be following can really help uh, minimize or completely avoid uh, some particular uh, avenue of attack. Uh, so I, I think it's very useful to try to just bring that stuff to the forefront of folks' minds. Absolutely. Thank you. So, Marcy, as we then move into the R of strong, so ready your network and devices. We provide a number of no-cost services. Um, did you want to go through those services and, and how an organization in the election infrastructure could contact uh, and basically have um, information provided to them and, and as, uh, as little as 15 minutes being set up uh, for these no-cost services? Sure. So the first is a web security solution, and it's called Malicious Domain Blocking and Reporting, or MDBR. And it prevents IT systems from connecting to harmful websites. Simple as that. It blocks malicious activity. Uh, it can be implemented in about 15 minutes. So it's relatively pain-free to implement, and it's available to all SLTTs at no charge. Not just election officials, but across the county or across the state can implement MDBR and prevent access to those harmful websites. And then the second is device level security. And this is our endpoint detection and response or EDR. And uh, this protects at the workstation uh, or the server level, the endpoint level. And we have a SOC that monitors the traffic 24-7, 365. We've partnered with CrowdStrike to deliver uh, endpoint security. And again, it's available at no cost to election officials, and it can be installed also in about 10 minutes from the cloud. And this is really important. I mean, we are approaching the time of year where election offices lock down their networks. They don't want any changes uh, before the election. But these are really two important steps that would provide increased protection going into the election. And as we get closer to the election, that's when they really need these services. So I would encourage election officials to go ahead and implement MDBR and EDR as soon as possible. And Sean, I hope uh, you don't mind. I want to emphasize um, 
the protections that are provided by these no-cost services. So that endpoint detection and response system, one of those things that Marcy mentioned is a 24-7 SOC that is actually monitoring signals that are coming from that software that's installed across your environment. So if you're a county commissioner, if you're a, a, a clerk and recorder, if you're a local official who has elections responsibilities, uh, you may see the calendar and all the activities coming down the pike at you as we move up to the November election. And of course, some states are still doing primaries as we're recording this. Um, the EIISAC provides that operations center that will monitor uh, their deployments of these protective services uh, within these local and state environments. You cannot underestimate the value that that provides, that the EIISAC is providing expert review of these protective services that are out there. Absolutely. Now, I appreciate that, Trevor, because it is another important element of the program. Because you think of the tabletop exercise as well. One of the other elements is outreach and utilizing these types of capabilities as part of the program. So we look at malicious domain blocking from the DNS perspective and then our endpoint EDR perspective. What that does is provide not only more telemetry, but it also gives us actionable insight into the types of threats and also the protective defensive level controls that are now in play. So it, it's, I think to your point, you know, there's layers of control that can be utilized, but then you've also got support. It's not just, oh, here's a tool, you're by yourself, good luck. There's constant feedback. There's a, a contact and an information sharing and a resource that can be used um, that I think, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, you see the tool and uh, and that may be the, you know, the, the new shiny thing, but behind it is an, a support infrastructure that uh, sometimes gets lost. So I appreciate that, Trevor. Fantastic. So we've readied our network and devices. We're looking at blocking harmful network traffic. We're also looking at the endpoint perspective. And as we go now into the uh, O of strong this is own your environment. So uh, Trevor, the O, the own your environment, what does that mean to you and, and how have you implemented it uh, at Colorado? Um, sure. So owning, owning your environment, from my perspective, that includes kind of identifying uh, who those trusted voices are within your community, uh, local election officials, um, and helping direct uh, folks to authoritative sources and trusted sources. Um, one of the uh, struggles that we had in 2016, 2018, and 2020 was uh, the spread of misinformation and disinformation. And uh, through mostly through social media platforms. Um, and so the EIISAC and then uh, obviously local and state election officials were constantly trying to equip our citizens and our residents to help identify uh, information that may be a little sketchy. It might be misinformation. It might be disinformation. And then uh, encourage them to discover and reach out to those trusted sources that they can get authoritative information from. Fantastic. Fantastic. So understanding and being able to intake information that makes um, really the most sense for the organization encountering misinformation. Trevor, actually, I wanted to uh, reference, if it's okay with you, um, an RSA 2020 panel that I believe you're a part of um, for enemies at the gate protecting American democracy in 2020. 
how much of misinformation was part of that particular program and that the, the uh, what you were being, uh, you know, trying to provide the attendees awareness of in this space? Sure. Well, thank you, Sean. Um, that was a panel that incidentally was right before COVID hit. Uh, that was my last trip uh, for over a year. Uh, but uh, we had several of us from the elections community, uh, Jeff Hale from uh, CISA, uh, Jennifer Morell was on that panel. I think uh, Teresa Payton, who's a former uh, White House uh, CIO, actually moderated that panel. Um, so in 2020, one of the very valuable things that we saw happen is uh, CISA actually took on um, kind of identifying some of these false themes that were floating around, and they stood up a rumor control page, okay? And the strategy is to identify, uh, you know, uh, false information that may be spreading, and then provide uh, actual real information, the truthful information with a reference to those sources. Uh, because we want people to understand where they can go to find uh, base truth instead of just, you know, reading a, you know, reading a blog post or listening to some show somewhere, you know, or a podcast or a radio show. Uh, we want to inform them about where they can go to get reliable information and how they can check that for themselves. I think CISA did a fabulous job with rumor control. We've also seen that strategy used very effectively in terms of public health information to try to identify some narratives that may be spreading on social media platforms and through other channels uh, and try to help people understand uh, where they can go to get good, reliable information. Fantastic. Thank you. Marcy, it, uh, through the EII sec, what did uh, preparation, what uh, activities have been taking place in the area of misinformation? Um, so, Sean, we serve as the single point of contact. If an election official sees something that's inaccurate or false that's on social media, they can report it to us and we will reach out, contact the social media platform so election officials can concentrate on conducting the election. An election official should report anything that they see on social media that's about their office or about the election process that's false. It could be something like uh, inaccurate dates for early voting or uh, inaccurate hours that the polls are going to be open or just an incorrect description of a process. But if they report that to us, provide a screenshot, a URL, something so we can find it, and then let us know why it's inaccurate. Don't just say it's wrong or it's not right. Um, you know, let us know why. Provide us with the state statute, with the regulation, with a policy or a procedure, and then we can report it. And we've had some great success. Just earlier this week, we had um, a post taken down within an hour of it being reported. So I think we were very pleased with the turnaround time and we've been working with the social media platforms uh, since 2020 and even before, but since 2020 to really focus on um, enhancing the service that we can provide. Fantastic. That's great. I mean, that that showing um, action on that intelligence, right? Uh, that's fantastic to see the turnaround and and that it's working and it's effective. But I think it's only as effective as you get that information provided to you. So that's the outreach piece and uh, and providing that information um, from a misinformation perspective. So that's fantastic. Uh, and being that kind of the central point, I think, helps the narrative, as it were. So you're you're getting a you know kind of the uh, the truth, as it were, through a program 
uh, that's going through a central point in contact. So that's fantastic. Marcy, we then move on to N in our strong acronym, and it's Nurture Your Cyber Strength. I wanted to talk to you here about the Essential Guide to Election Security. How is that put together and, and how are we making that available to uh, elections officials? Well, we think it's important for election officials to do an assessment of their office's cyber maturity. They need to know where they stand and, and that is just extremely important because then the Essential Guide to Election Security kind of becomes a roadmap for improvement. And we are, we're just launching the new essential guide. It replaces the handbook that had 88 uh, best practices. And this is a, a more dynamic model. So it can be changed. It can be updated um, frequently. And that's the plan. So uh, it is an online document and it's designed with election officials in mind. So whether they're at the lowest level of maturity or if they're a very sophisticated office, um, then it can help meet their needs. And we're really trying to meet election officials where they are and make sure that we're speaking the same language that they speak. Fantastic. And that, so in in terms of the language that's spoken there, uh, in my review uh, of the guide itself, it is very much tailored to take away a lot of the technical ease, as I'll call it um, at this point, but really representative of election infrastructure and looking at um, those specific vernacular or, or those terms that are within that space so that it is, to your point, um, it, it's easily readable. But I think it's more than that. And Trevor, I just want to get your thoughts here on the essential guide is it seems to be more of an action plan to then develop improvements over time. But want to get your thoughts on the overall guide itself and how you see that being used effectively. Well, I think that's really one of the big wins from actually developing that uh, that essential guide. Uh, it can help to, as you said, you've looked at the documents. Um, so uh, there are a couple of uh, concepts in cybersecurity, physical security preparedness. One is to assess where your risks are you know, the, the probability and impact and scope of uh, things that may happen. And then, but understanding where your risks are, the next step is to identify gaps and how to fill them, how to actually close those gaps uh, so that you're actually reducing your risk profile a little bit. The essential guide, one of the great things about it is it's not written in hardcore technical language. And so I view it as a great way for an election official, um, you know, to to start that conversation with their technical and their cybersecurity support, whether they get support from another county or city department, whether they rely on a third party commercial party, uh, you know, to provide that sort of support, it can help them uh, understand how to start that conversation. And using that essential guide, they can say, hey, so I've been reading this, we're trying to implement best practices. Um, and so they can start to have that conversation and then understand uh, what steps they may need to take to actually close some of those gaps, again, based on assessing where they are today. Thank you, Trevor. So one of the things from an election security perspective and the guide itself and being cyber strong is the elements within cyber strong um, are indicative of the best practices that are outlined within the election guide itself. So was that done on purpose to align cyber strong to these best practices? 
Yes, everything we do is to promote the best practices and the products and services that we provide. So it was very deliberate um, in that respect. Fantastic. And I think, what you know, as we go through the best practices, I mean, it, it's uh, Trevor, the way I look at it from, uh, you know, from the CISO perspective and, and, and representative of your CIO role is that it, it's, you know, it's all the best hits, you know, from a best practice perspective. Uh, it looks, you know, comprehensive. It's looking across infrastructure. But I think in, in one of the things you had mentioned is also looking at physical security, which cannot be forgotten in the space. So it's not only cyber strong, but it's also physically aware of that underlying strength and how it contributes to overall election security. I want to get your thoughts there. Uh, so physical security is one of those things, you know, when we open up polling places, when we're handling mail ballots, when we're tabulating ballots uh, during the course of an election, uh, the physical security of our facilities and of our people is paramount. Um, as we've seen uh, uh, the environment that we're working in with threats to election officials, with intimidation, harassment, and that sort of thing, understanding how we can improve our physical security of the physical plant and the people that work for us, um, it, it will help people better engage and be willing to step forward and be an election worker, to be an election judge, to engage in the elections process, or as a voter to go in and exercise your right to vote. It's one of the very critical things uh, that we look at. And I want to put a plug in for uh, CISA and the protective security advisors, the PSAs that are scattered across the nation. In Colorado, one of the things that, uh, that we have done is to have our county clerk and recorders who run elections at that local level in the county, uh, have them reach out to the protective security advisors to come out and do a physical site assessment. Okay. Um, a county clerk and recorder may not control their entire budget, right? They rely on a county manager or a board of county commissioners to actually approve their budget. And in, in my experience, there's no greater uh, uh, asset that we can put in the hands of those local officials. When they're going to ask for money to you know, improve the physical security of their space, if they've got a detailed report, a physical security assessment from someone from CISO who says, oh, we've looked at this. We think that uh, you know your lobby is too wide open. There's no spacing. If uh, someone tried to rush the counter, uh, they may be able to just leap over the counter. There's some of the really practical things um, that a county can move forward and reach to their funders, you know, in their government to actually close some of those issues that are found. It's a great tool in that respect. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like it's um, you know it's this. The way I think of it is we've all come together, you know, from at DHS, um, at the EII SEC, and, and really the representatives from all SLTT is really thinking about the um, the approaches that we want to take and really sharing best practices and owning uh, really the responsibility, but then also taking action. I think that's just phenomenal. And it's really, uh, from a community perspective, it, it seems very tight-knit and that we're working to build that repertoire and really the rapport as well with the community to bring those elements together and really start sharing these uh, messages of success. This is not impossible. Um, so Marcy, I would, you know, kind of reflect here is uh, we'll move to the, the G and strong to go tell your story. Why is that so important to share with the community? I think it's really important to raise public awareness Security is not new 
to um, election officials. They have a great story to tell, and it's really important, like I said, to raise public awareness and confidence in election integrity. It's really a very misunderstood process. Uh, People don't pay attention until it's election year. They think that election officials don't do anything except every two years. And then some people think it's every four years. But I mean, planning starts as soon as one election's over, planning begins for the next. And, you know, Trevor talked about being a trusted source. And that's something that you need to work on long before election day. Uh, So if people see misunderstanding, misinformation, they know where to turn. But, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. You, you need to build that rapport with your community and establish yourself as a trusted source long before election day. And a couple of, or one easy thing to do is to use a .gov domain. Um, you know, when you see .com or org, you just really don't know that it's a government entity. And this is something that CISA provides. It's available to election officials at no charge. And, you know, it's a, it's a relatively easy process to get implemented. And it goes a long way. That way, somebody uh, sees something out there on the internet, they know where to go to find the accurate information. Fantastic. Fantastic. Trevor, I also wanted to get your perspective here and, and really your story in Go Tell Your Story. What does that mean to you and, and the Department of State uh, of Colorado? So uh, I think Marcy hit on some of the high points. .gov domain so that people uh, don't have to, you know, when they do a search uh, and they're looking for a source, um, actually the search engines do a really good job of prioritizing government official sources over random.coms or .nets or .rus. Um, And so, you know, we can thank, you know, Google and Bing and, you know, those organizations who are doing those sorts of uh, uh, ranking of search results because they're actually part of the ecosystem as well, trying to help that. Um, In terms of, uh, you know, kind of going and telling your story, uh, I'll tell you really honestly, government, we're not very good at public relations. we are, you know, especially when it comes to, to peak election periods, we're head down, uh, focusing on the very complex work that we do, and we don't do a great job of telling our story. And so I think through some of the organizations, the EIISAC and the community we've built there, the National Association of Secretaries of State, the National Association of State Election Directors, we're starting to help identify those things that work really well for people getting their story out so it can kind of take hold and can kind of resonate with the people that live in their jurisdiction. A couple of things that we've seen used really effectively is short form video. Um, There's a ton of content out there across the nation uh, in various cities, counties, and states about how elections work. Uh, But the, the fact of the matter is a lot of people don't read, you know, those pages and pages of information. And so finding ways that we can kind of bring that home and shorten it up and kind of, uh, you know, we can have short form video that emphasizes specific parts of the election process, you know, that are time bound, right? Uh, some states have uh, voter registration cutoffs. You have to be registered, you know, 30, 28 days before election day. And getting that message out to voters in your jurisdiction can be incredibly helpful. And so that's one of the things we're trying to do is identify some strategies that work really well in some parts of the country so that others can kind of replicate that type of successful engagement. Absolutely. 
that makes uh, i mean honestly it just makes complete sense and it, it really then helps to uh move the narrative forward about the capabilities that exist and and really underlying uh, i'll say this uh trevor and uh, just wanted to get your thoughts but it, it's there is a responsibility right to to provide these capabilities and but not only provide them, but to implement them in a way that's one you can attest to and that you can really then tell your story of how well you've done. So I think there's sharing with the community, but it's also sharing within a government organization about the capabilities that exist and the need to move the narrative forward in terms of physical and cybersecurity elements. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that in terms of telling the story internally as a force multiplier to get others to respond, not just in elections, but, you know, general security uh, in practice. So that's a great question, Sean. So it kind of reminds me of something that we talked about um, in the run up to the 2020 election and then in every election since then, because as Marcy said, elections don't happen every two years, or every four years. They're actually happening almost all the time between municipal, school board, uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, one of the uh, one of the things that we advise people to do is to try to understand um, who their constituents are and what sort of messages are going to hit home with them, um, and just reach them there. Uh, one of the other ways we look to do that is Spanish language content, looking at reaching out to people uh, in their language that they're most familiar with can really help people kind of understand uh, these very complex concepts and the timelines and where they need to go to vote and how are they going to see the votes afterward? How are they going to know who won? And then how they can engage and be part of that process. And so it, we, you know, one of our goals is to try to demystify uh, the process of elections so people can understand how those things actually happen, how ballots are cast, how they're counted, how we figure out that the people who voted are registered to vote. Uh, there are different processes, different state laws across the across the nation, but we're all doing this work to ensure the, the integrity of the process. And if people are interested, they can actually uh, see some of the transparency that's involved in helping people understand um, how they can be involved. Fantastic. Excellent. Marcy, um, if an election official has questions, uh, wants to know if they're eligible, wants to know about these programs, where do they go? They can reach out um, to elections at cisecurity.org and uh, they will point them to the right person. Um, it's a lot of um, valuable information that we have. It's a, it's a really exciting time to work in elections and especially at the EIISAC because we offer so many professional services and products to election officials and we look forward to continuing to work with our valued members. Fantastic. And so as we wrap up this particular episode, Trevor, I wonder if there's any final words that you would provide the community at large um, with the, either best practices or recommendation. What would you provide them as uh, kind of the final thought in this space? Well, the first thing I'd say is hug your local election official. You know what? They're a neighbor of yours. They live in your neighborhood. And they're the ones who are entrusted with this duty. Uh, the second thing is if you wonder how you can get involved, reach out to your local office that runs elections in your community. There are all kinds of opportunities for people to better understand and get involved with the process. Pre-election testing to make sure that uh, the tabulation machines, they actually scan those ballots accurately. And you can demonstrate that with 100% accuracy. Um, 
you know, volunteer to be an election worker. You'll get paid to be an election worker, uh, but you can be part of the process of actually helping your neighbors, uh, you know, participate in the election and demystify the process for them. And lastly, post-election audits. Um, all of these processes around uh, counting and tabulating votes, doing signature verification, checking IDs and mail ballots that are returned, um, these don't happen in a closed room with one person sitting there. They actually happen with bipartisan teams. Uh, in our state, we have an R and a D and an election worker that's overseeing all of those processes. You need to work with your, generally, your local party organizations because they're the ones that we reach to to make sure that there's a, you know, someone who's endorsed by the county or the state party to represent for Republicans and Democrats across our community to make sure that they've got eyes on the process. And so they can attest themselves to the integrity and the transparency that exists. And that varies by state. Uh, but I would encourage anybody who's interested to either reach out to their party or reach out to their county registrar or their township town clerk um, and find out, you know, who the proper person is in each jurisdiction to get involved with elections. Fantastic. Well, thank you, both of you. I, I just want to thank you both for your leadership in the space. Um, obviously, very important for protecting American democracy and moving the narrative forward. Uh, some great work, obviously improvements. Every year we see improved capability in the space and, and uh, to lead that is fantastic. So thank you both. And thank you to our audience. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the episode. Make sure to sign up uh, for notifications so you don't miss a single episode of CI Security where you are. And I've been Sean Atkinson. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.